0: A gospel reading today is also the sermon text and it consists of verses 30 through 47 from the fifth chapter of John. Um, As you all recall, uh, this is the text of one of our earlier sermons and uh, the chapter begins with an account of Jesus healing a paralytic man lying by the pool of Bethesda near the sheep gate in Jerusalem. However, he performed this miracle on the Sabbath, which angered the Jewish leaders of the day. When they confronted Jesus about his actions, he once again schooled them about who he was and about who had sent him to do these miraculous things. John chapter five, verses 30 through 47 says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that He bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he is born witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. John are the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has also borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not know, do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever.
1: Good morning. Happy New Year to everyone, by the way. It's good to be back. Kind of good to get everything kind of back to normal for me sometimes. Sometimes I, um, I like getting the Christmas decorations down and just kind of getting back to, to normal. So it feels good to, I mean, I love the stuff while it's up, but it feels good to have it back. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your witness to us. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive your witness, that we would humbly submit ourselves to you in faith. Do that through us, Lord. Break through the hardness of our hearts, break through the pride, break through the sin, whatever is keeping us from drawing near to you. Lord, I pray that through this sermon, through our worship service and through the week, you would work in the hearts of all of us because we need your healing and we need your word and your power to break through our hardness. Do that through Christ's name and by your spirit. Amen. If you are um, somewhat engaged with the news, you haven't missed, I'm sure, the, the brutal crime that took place in Idaho back in November and how that has just rocked our entire nation. Um, It's, uh, you know, you're watching this whole process and wondering if they're ever going to finally bring somebody. And every one of us is hoping that they would find the person who did such a brutal crime, especially if you're a parent who has a child in college. It rocks you even more, I imagine. Certainly did us. It was good to see that they finally brought a suspect and had him extradited back to Idaho. And hearing about the whole process was pretty amazing. But I got to say, personally, maybe you're like me. I have this guy already convicted and all ready for him to receive judgment. And yet, our justice system, allows for a trial. Allows for him or anyone who's accused to have an attorney present to have a trial before their peers. And and in that trial, they're going to have a number of witnesses and evidence that are going to bring out the case. The prosecutor to show that he's guilty. The defense to show that he's innocent. And hopefully, it's not a perfect system, but we pray and hope that justice will be done. But it's interesting how we judge. It's interesting how there's more involved in our hearts than just the right information. When we hear witnesses, when we see evidence. How does witness, how does evidence affect you in your judgments? And how much is your heart engaged in the judgments that you make? I open with this example because today's passage, of course, as we've been hearing about this theme throughout the service, is about witness. And it shows Jesus making his case. In fact, one one commentator calls this his closing argument of this section uh, of Scripture. His closing argument declaring who he is. And it comes out of, as Debbie said, uh, out of an accusation. But he's presenting witnesses that agree with him and show the Jews, the Jewish leaders primarily in this case, to be wrong in their judgments and their accusations. But just to kind of highlight and going back to remember what happened, and and Debbie uh, touched on this as well, verse 18, it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because after he healed this man, at the Pool of Siloam, and he was carrying his pallet. They saw that as breaking the Sabbath. And they said that he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Well, that adds up to breaking the Sabbath and to blasphemy, and that's a crime against Yahweh. And it was a crime that they felt was worthy of death, that was worthy of death. So. How does Jesus respond? Well, he responds by bringing the witnesses that testify about him. And he does this, and we start this in in, in verse 30. And what's interesting is he starts out this passage demonstrating his humility, who he is as God the Father, making himself equal with God and calling God his own Father, and yet he says, I can do nothing on my own. Verse 30, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Jesus approaches this with the humility that he demonstrates throughout. It's the humility of the servant, but it's also bringing witness with authority of the Father. So let's look at this real quickly. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Doesn't that sound a little strange for the Son of God, God incarnate, to be saying that if I bring my own testimony, it's not true? Shouldn't that be the case? Shouldn't it be otherwise? Shouldn't it be like whatever I say goes, right? But you see, Jesus, when he came as God incarnate, when he came as God in the flesh, He came to be like his brothers in every respect. To be like every human being in every respect, as the book of Hebrews says. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make satisfaction for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He came to to submit himself to humanity in many ways. To be a human, just like you and me, and to, to deal with the same brokenness that we all deal with. The pain, the suffering. He was sinless, yes. The temptation, though, he still had to deal with. And all the other brokenness that happens outside of the sinlessness. So when Jesus said that, he, that if he alone gives a witness... It's not going to be true. He was submitting himself to the law. He was, he was demonstrating what the law of God says back in Deuteronomy. This is stated in Deuteronomy 17 and 19, but also in Numbers 35. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 19, 15. It says this. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So God made it so that... Not just one person can bring a charge against somebody. You see this in, in Jesus' trial when he's uh, going before Pilate and Herod that, that none of the witnesses could agree with one another. They were trying so hard to find something, to find two witnesses that could, that could agree against Christ. But they couldn't. Jesus now is going to demonstrate with three primary witnesses that they all agree and are all testifying about him. He says in verse 32, there's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now this can be confusing. It looks like it could be talking about John the Baptist, but it appears more so to be talking about the overarching witness, which which is God the Father, Yahweh. The Father is the one who is bringing these witnesses. And he is sending three witnesses. These witnesses are in this form, all in the form of the word. And we have the prophetic word, the acted word, and the written word. So he starts off with the prophetic word, which is John the Baptist. He said, you sent to John, call it talking to the, to the Jewish leaders, said you sent messengers to John, and he's born witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice a while in his light. You see, John came as a prophet. John came fulfilling the, the, the prophecy of Isaiah when he said, I'm the one crying out, in the, uh, the voice crying out in the wilderness, make way for the Lord. He also called out Jesus as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And remember, the, the Jewish leaders We're not so much against John the Baptist. In fact, they had to be very careful. Remember when Jesus put them in that place where he said, is John's baptism from God or from man? Do you remember that situation where they didn't know what to say because they said if they said that John's baptism was from man, then that would be denying, that would be making the people upset because they believed he was a prophet of God. And if he said it was from God, then that would be, agreeing with Jesus, and they certainly didn't want to do that. So they said, well, we don't know what it's from. And so John the Baptist was, was one that, 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 was, that was a shining lamp that was shining the light of Christ for the people to see, making a way. He was a temporary prophet. He, he didn't last forever, of course, but his light was burning for a time, and he came to, to, to prophesy and to testify of Christ himself. Who he was and what he was going to do. So, Jesus next turns to another sign. This is the sign of the acted word. The signs of the miracles. We see the purpose of these signs in chapter two. In chapter two of John, back when he turned the water and the wine, we call, remember if you if you um, remember back when we started in chapter two, he calls they, they call the the uh, chapters two through twelve the book of signs. And it's the book of signs. It's the book of that demonstrates Jesus' miracles and signs that point to who he is. And what this says in chapter 2, after he turned the water into wine, it says this. This, the first of these signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. The purpose of these signs is to manifest the glory of who the Son of God is. They demonstrate not only the, the prophecy that was made by John the Baptist, but now they demonstrate, they put feet to the works. It's just like, this, this is when we talk about faith versus works, the, the book of James. James talks very strongly about if you have faith, you're going to demonstrate it by your works. He says, show me your faith by your works and I'll show, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. The works that we do as believers in Christ are designed or, or for the purpose of demonstrating where we place our faith. And in the same way, the works that Jesus did demonstrated his identity as the Son of God in the flesh. Think about the signs that Jesus did. He says this in verse 36. He says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. They glorify him, and they show that Jesus has been sent by the Father. He's not any other man. He's not any other Messiah, claimed to be Messiah, who just came claiming himself to be Messiah. There were a lot of false Messiahs throughout the time of, of, of uh, ancient history, and all of them fell by the wayside because they didn't. They they were disingenuous. They weren't. They weren't. They were false. And they didn't have the testimony of the Father behind them. They didn't have the testimony of of, of a prophet sent by the Father. And they didn't have the testimony of the works empowering the Son of God by the Father. Think about the the signs that he he did in the book of John water to wine. We talked about the, the healing of the centurion's son, the nobleman's son, that he did from a distance. Some 20 miles away, when called upon to heal this this man's son, he said, go, your son son lives. Feeding the 5,000, we'll see that soon. Feeding with bread and fish. Healing the sick. Healing the lame man at the Pool of Siloam. Chapter 9, we'll see him heal the blind man who was blind from birth. We see him in other places feeding another 4,000, another 4, walking on water. Then, of course, chapter 11, raising Lazarus from the dead. And finally, raising himself, seeing himself raised from the dead. At the end, the climax of his mission. It was those signs that are testifying to who Jesus is. It's those signs that, think about this, you see Jesus do these signs, and the Jewish leaders are rejecting it. Are they rejecting it because they don't believe it, or are they rejecting it because they refuse to believe it? He says this in verse 37 And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. He's speaking to the Jews. His form you have never seen, and you don't have his word abiding in you. Now that sounds strange because these guys studied the, the, the law and studied the Old Testament quite a bit. And when he's talking about the word, he's talking about the Old Testament. That's all they had. He said, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. And then he turns directly to the written word, Verse 39, says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Isn't that interesting? He's saying you, you, you Jewish leaders search the scriptures. Not only do you search them, you study them diligently. You are experts in this law. And you believe that in them you have eternal life. That sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty commendable. And it is they, though, that bear witness about me. In verse 40, what happens? Yet you refuse to come to me. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's not that the witnesses aren't credible. It's they're refusing to submit themselves to those witnesses. They're they're refusing to submit themselves to the word of John the Baptist. They're refusing to submit themselves to the signs of the Son of God who's healing and feeding and raising from the dead. And they're looking at that and they're saying, no. No. He can't be the Messiah. Perhaps they're thinking like some of you, there's got to be another explanation. C.S. Lewis in his book of miracles talks, talks about a. Uh, he says, he opens up the book, he says, I'd never known anybody to see a ghost except one person, one person. And she saw a ghost, and she still didn't believe. She rationalized it away. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. You see, this is the other thing. The scriptures themselves, the Old Testament, we we know the New Testament testifies about Christ. We see Jesus all throughout the New Testament. But the Old Testament, if you're new to the Bible, you ever think of the Old Testament testifying about Jesus? But what did Jesus do? Think about after he rose from the dead in the book of Luke. 24th chapter, he's walking these two guys on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking about what happens, and Jesus appears to them, And pretty soon they, they start conversing, and they start telling him about the guy who rose from the dead and all the stuff that's going on. And Jesus is wanting to know more. And then pretty soon Jesus says this begin, the, the, the book says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures. All In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In all the scriptures. Starting with Moses and the prophets. Starting with Moses is, is the first five books of the, of, of the Old Testament. And the prophets. And later on, so all the prophecies. But then we see this. Verse 44. Then he said to them, speaking to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses the first five books, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That is inc- that's inclusive of the entire Old Testament. All of the Old Testament is testifying to Jesus. It is the witness that he's bringing forth to the, Jewish, to the Jewish leaders, saying, you guys study this. This is what they're talking about me. Moses is testifying about me. The prophets, the Psalms, all testifying about me. And you refuse to come to me. Verse 41, I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do. I know that you do not have the love of God or the love for God. That could be interpreted also. But I know that you don't have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. second time he says this, you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. And he asks this, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek that glory, the glory that comes from the only God? See, when they're studying the scriptures, they're building themselves up. They're adding to their their value. They're like the Remember the story of the publican and the Pharisee praying. And the Pharisee's praying nice and loud for everyone to hear. Because they want glory from other people. They want the glory that comes from one another. They want to pat each other on the back. They're studying to elevate themselves. They're studying to gain knowledge. Perhaps they're studying to shut down some other sect. Because they're studying the Word of God so that they could use it as a weapon. They can use it as their own weapons to shoot against others. That's the purpose. How much can they know? How can they straighten people out? How can they stay above the little people? As the chief academics, the chief priests. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? The glory that comes from God is the glory that comes when when his word is obeyed, when his word is believed, when they do see the witness that was intended to be about Jesus. When you take that and you receive it and you submit yourself to it and you say, Lord, what next? What next? This was not the posture of the Jews. They beli- deliberately refused to believe and to come to Jesus. Later on, John quotes Isaiah. In chapter 12 of John, he, he quotes Isaiah when he says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, there were some, they did not confess Jesus. Jesus so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says you're seeking the glory that comes from man, and and you're forfeiting the glory that comes from God. And Then he brings it down to earth even more with the written word, the testimony of the written word. He says this, Do not think that I'll accuse you to the Father, there is one who accuses you. You know who accuses you? Moses. How do you think that fell on him? To hear Moses is the one who accuses them. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. The one they've set their hope, the one they feel that they're the specialists. I mean, I, I, they probably felt like they were brothers with Moses, they felt that they were his servants his mouthpiece. But Jesus says, for if you believe Moses, you'd believe in me. You know why I know why? Because Moses wrote about me. Remember when I told you the Old Testament is all about me? The books of Moses, the books of the prophets, all of the Old Testament is about me. All the scriptures, that's what they had. But if you don't believe his writings, again, how will you believe my words? How will you even be able is what he's saying. How will you be able to believe if you don't believe the words that Moses wrote? If you don't believe that he wrote about me? What's this passage say about belief and unbelief? You know, I think a lot of times when we're thinking about belief and unbelief and and getting people to believe, I think we're kind of trained to give more information. If they only had more information, right? If we educated more, if we studied more, if we read more, maybe we need to read some more books. But don't you think these guys had a lot of information? Don't you think they had a pretty good supply of information? That tells me something in this passage, that, that belief and faith is not based on information. Os Guinness, in his, in his book, um, I'm drawing a blank, I think it's called Fool's Talk, is that right? Anyone? Oh, okay. Um, he talks about the anatomy of unbelief, and he says that we have to consider not only, he so said we must take into account when we're speaking about our faith and when we're, we're giving an account of our faith, we must take into account the capacity of the human mind for reason, that's what we're all pretty good with, reason, and the primacy of the human heart. Did you know that there are roughly 3 million people in this nation that believe the earth is flat? Mm-hmm. Might I, I? Maybe one of you. I don't know. Please talk to me if you are, if you do believe that. That's no kidding. And if you never knew that before, you might be thinking, "How in the world is that possible?" I, I think that. How is that possible? With the technology we have, with the travel abilities we have the information, Google, I mean, everything. Think about it. And yet there is uh, the equivalent to the population of Iowa that doesn't believe that the Earth is round. I know, Kyle. It's not Iowa. I mean, the people in Iowa believe it's flat. (laughs) It's the only state I could find with 3 million people in it. but three million people believe that, and it's not because they're stupid. It's not because they have not enough information. It's not because they haven't read enough books. Why do you think it is? You know, science seeks to convince the flat earthers by giving them more information. You know, there's a documentary, if you've ever seen it before, it's called uh, Behind the Curve. And uh, this documentary uh, uh, follows a a guy named Mark Sargent, a few other leaders in the flat earth movement. And uh, at the end of the movie, at the end of the documentary, it shows them, they're saying, well, if the earth is is curved, then we're going to shoot, they're shooting a laser beam, I think, I forget, uh, you know, a few miles. And they said, now, if the earth is curved, we're going to, you know, if it's flat, we're going to see this beam meet this point right here. And if it's curved, well, we're going to lose it or something. Well, they lost it. Or it didn't go where they thought. And they had an explanation. It's fascinating. I don't know if they had a full explanation, but they said, well, we got to do some more study. Maybe we just need more information. Maybe we just need to do some more tests. You see, this is how we are with with God's witness. It's how we are with God's witness. Think about this. It, It... I've said this before, but I'll say it again. We have, people will see an image on Mars that has the the, the faint look of a face. And right away, they're seeking out intelligent life on another planet. And yet cannot look at a seed that you put in the ground and what it produces, a life-bearing and life-giving tree, and think nothing of that. How blinded! The money that we put into finding intelligent life because we heard a sound, because we saw something. And you, know, as Acts fourteen says, God did not leave Himself without witness. Never left Himself without witness. Paul says this in verse in chapter one of, of Romans. What a great book! If you haven't read in a while, read it. It's amazing. And he says that they're without excuse. That we are all without excuse. Why are we without excuse? Because God's glory is all around us in his creation. It's everywhere. Go outside. and, And how has God's kindness been shown to you? I was thinking of this, you know, through his creation for me. The beauty of the sunset, the glory in all that he has created... And if you are rejecting that, I'm just going to say you have a hard heart. You are refusing to believe what God has plainly put in front of you. You may argue about the character of God, but to see what he has done. So what do we do? How do we receive God's witness and grow in God's witness. I think the first thing is to understand the hardness of our hearts. Even if you're a believer, I know the hardness of my own heart and how, what I refuse to believe sometimes and what, what I don't want to accept. So I'm going to ask that, 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 you, that you approach God's word with a humble confession. Before you read the Word of God, first of all, seek the Word of God. Seek God in His Word. As as that reading said, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the Word of God. This is God's witness to us. It's God's witness to His people. And I challenge you to bring before Him your heart And to say, God, show me where my pride is keeping me blinded. Show me where sin is keeping me from warming to your truth. To submitting to the to your will where I am refusing to submit. Come to Him humbly, confessing that. Asking Him to show you where you are are wrong, where you are hardened. And then humble submission. Seek the Lord's guidance when you come to his scriptures and ask him what he would show you. And let me say this, when you, when you are studying the scriptures, and this is for me as well, I'm, I'm preaching this to myself as well. Instead of seeking more knowledge, instead of reading the Bible to seek more knowledge, instead of reading the Bible to prove someone wrong, instead of reading the Bible to prove yourself right, seek Christ. Simply seek Jesus. It's a witness about Christ Himself. Ask the Lord to show you Himself in His Scriptures. If you're reading the Old Testament, I know it can be confusing sometimes, but ask. How does this testify? How does this witness about Jesus? How does this this scripture about Gideon or about Jonah, how does this witness to Jesus? And ponder that. Take time to ponder it. And pray and seek the Lord in this. Seek him in humble submission and humble confession. Pray for guidance. Study in community with others. Seek other brothers and sisters. And my prayer is this year that we can be a help with that as a church. I think we have a lot of work to do there and I, want, I hope that we can do that for one another. That we may know the testimony of the Lord and we may through that not get smarter but grow closer to Jesus. To grow more submissive to him and to demonstrate more of his spirit in our lives and in the lives of the church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and Jesus, by your witness and by your testimony, Lord, I pray that you would humble our hearts, humble our hearts and humble our minds, Lord, that we would seek you in the testimony of your word. Grow us, grow us in our faith, and grow us in our hope that we would cling to you It's in Christ's name, amen.